0: Beast OCR proudly presents BeastNet Podcast, sponsored in part by G.H. Unders' performance Base layers and supported by the OCR community. Here we discuss all things OCR-related. Welcome to BeastNet.
1: Hey, everybody. It's Mike with BeastNet here. And with me today, I have Antonio from Grit OCR. How are you doing, Antonio? Great, man. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. So for those of us that don't know... Can kind you of give us a, uh, an idea of who you are and what grid OCR
0: is? Yeah, so we're a local race here in Santa Clarita. We're north of L.A., and we're going on our third year. We host our race annually, um, and for the past few years, it's been in February, and it will be in February again this upcoming year. Um, we're a mom-and-pop shop over here, and um, we're, uh, we're looking to maybe push it a little more forward, and and have a few more races next year, but yeah, we're basically just a uh, a local OCR.
1: Nice. So, so that's the, that's great, great OCR. But what about you? Who, who's Antonio? Ah, so, <laughs> who's Antonio?
0: The bigger question: Who's Antonio?
1: Uh-huh. So, yeah,
0: I am somebody that got into off road racing in 2012. I did a tough mutter, and kind of got hooked from there, and. Three or four years ago, my wife and I decided that we wanted to invest in something, and we were thinking about real estate or possibly opening up a gym, and we opened up a bottle of wine and came up with the name Grit, and at the time, we were going to be an obstacle course race training facility. That was our that was our goal, yes. and we started digging into it and decided that um, running our other business, which has nothing to do with OCR, while simultaneously trying to open up a gym, we were pretty much setting ourselves up for failure um, because we're both perfectionists and we want to pour our entire heart into it. Um, So one day we decided that we were going to just get our brand out there and host, or not host, but uh, sponsor a trail race. So we brought our tent and all of our equipment, which was just, you know, all of our garage gym equipment to this trail race that was local. And as we were setting up, I started talking to the race directors and I asked them if they'd ever wanted to do an OCR. Um, and they said, yeah, we'll do it together. You, you and us. Just like that. Just right off the cuff. And I was wow. like, okay, you're crazy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I went home that night and I couldn't sleep. I was just thinking about it. I'm like, that is actually a really good idea. And it basically all spawned from there. So I'm just a... Uh, you know just a family man in San Korea that decided to open up a small business and I don't know why most people don't do this, but I open up an school
1: course race. that's awesome that's awesome and i I've actually wanted that too because that's one thing I don't know you said you've listened to a couple of the episodes that we've been I've been really having issues with up here and where where I'm at in Seattle is we don't have a lot of them up here, and maybe the we don't
0: we don't have any here either.
1: Yeah. And that's just it. I mean, you guys, you know, did what a lot of us have thought about doing is why not just start our own? You know, I mean, I'll be honest. I have obstacles in my front yard just so I can practice, but you know, it it would be doable. It's just a matter of getting a group of people together and doing. it. And I know the beast OCR, we have talked about it, and there is a possibility that in the next year, that might be something that we try, but it's, it's a big undertaking in some ways, but I don't think it's as big as some people make it. So um, how hard was it, really, to, to go it's from the, the concept of do it to actually having a race?
0: It's an endurance event altogether, and it depends mm-hmm. on what kind of infrastructure you have to be able to put it on. I wanted to make it like a mom-and-pop shop um, where we did everything in-house. So we partnered with a company called New Global Adventures, and New Global Adventures host trail races all over Santa Clarita, where we're from. And then they also help host races around the world, like in China um, and parts of Asia. So they Mm -hmm. had the logistical part of it down, registration, um, aid stations, parking, all that stuff. And then my wife and I, we just had to bring the obstacles and the community into it. So it was a really good collaboration between us but uh it is a very massive undertaking and the only way to be successful in my opinion and this is just like you know how i look at it is you have to keep your overhead extremely low in the beginning and do everything yourself even though you don't want to so that you give yourself the ability to grow and i think that when you see a lot of these races spawn um it's because it's guys that don't want to do things you know, from the ground up, they want, you know, somebody to build the obstacles and they want somebody else to design their website and and then somebody else to do their marketing and yeah. they're, they're bleeding money in all the directions where we did literally everything ourselves. We design our website. We do all of our own marketing. We built all of our own obstacles. We deployed all of our own obstacles. We broke down all of our own obstacles, everything from start to finish. And you have
1: to,
0: you have to really be someone that's all in. And I I encourage everybody to do so. It's an amazing experience, man. Like coming from the idea of opening, you know, opening registration and then dealing with the emotional roller coaster that is watching people flow in maybe in, you know, not as fast as you want them to because most people sign up in like the last two weeks before a race. But going from that first person that signs up to the last person that crosses the finish line is unbelievable, man. It's a great experience.
1: Oh, I bet. And that's one of those things that, you know, we've, You know, we've talked about all that kind of stuff, but I think it's like you said, it's a, you really have to go for it. So,
0: yeah. And for us, you know, my, my wife and I, we are partners in another business. I own a um, custom home automation company, which is, you know, a huge undertaking here in, in LA. There's just a huge customer base and we're, we're working 60 hour weeks. So basically our first year of grit, we would, you know, I'd be working like 60 hour weeks and I would come home at night and I would build obstacles in my garage I would break them down and I would ship them to a storage unit, and it was just every day, every weekend, just grinding, getting these obstacles built, and and then you know answering emails at night. It was huge. It was a it was a big deal. I wasn't like the uh, I wasn't like uh, you know the the Joe descendants or the the guys that started Tough Mudder where they had this huge you know pot of money where they were able to get this off the ground and get it running and, and you know at full speed. It was more of like a trickle for the first year. And then um, yeah. the second year, you know, we had a little more we had a little more breathing room because a lot of the stuff was already done, but I don't want to keep releasing the same obstacles every year. I don't want everybody to run the same yeah. course every yeah. year. So every year I you know, I, I plan, you know, something that we're actually gonna be doing this weekend is um starting production of another obstacle. So it's it's and that's a full awesome. kind of job all on itself, but it's uh it's definitely an endurance event, man. You gotta you got to be um, fit mentally and physically.
1: Yeah, and that's one of the things that you know. I, I if it was something that you know we took on up here, I think it'd have to be. We'd have to make sure we had that core group of people that are actually going to be dedicated. I mean, you know. If you have people that are going to be like, yeah, I could do that on the weekend or I could do that, it's not going to work. You need a group that's going to actually, like, get together and say, okay, we're going to do this after work every day and and put the time in. And that's what it sounds like you guys did. I mean, like you said, not all of us can, you know, fork out a bunch of money and say, okay, here, you go build my website. Here's some ideas. I want obstacles that kind of look like this, make it happen. And we can't do that. It's pretty much one of those okay, this is kind of what I want it to look like. I better go get some wood and, you know, some bars and figure out how I'm going to make this happen. You know, and that sounds like that's what you guys did. You just started, had ideas and started putting them together. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. But, you know, not to, one of the things I love most about obstacle course racing and just fitness in general is the community aspect of it. And my wife and I and (laughs) our partners, we would be nothing without the people that, banded around us and helped us through this whole experience. It was yeah it was huge. I, I remember sitting down with our partners and talking about volunteers and saying that, hey, you know, for a race day we're gonna need about eighty volunteers. And I was thinking in my head, I'm like, how the hell are we gonna find eighty people to give up their Saturday just to come out and help us out for free. And yeah. it just happens and all of a sudden you just see people volunteering like, Yeah, I'd love to come out and help. And then all of a sudden, our friends would show up at our garage and be like, hey, do you guys need help carrying obstacles? And we would be on the course on build week, and all of a sudden, people would be showing up that we didn't even expect to show up. And they're like, hey, do you need a hand? So honestly, like, aside from the reward that you get from seeing people cross the finish line and and having a great time on race day, the reward of seeing an entire community of people come together to, to help make a dream work was probably, I'd say, the most rewarding part of it. Um, especially this year. This year we had ridiculous weather all of race week. So it was pouring rain and we had a really small build crew and we would have not been able to pull it off hadn't, you know, a bunch of our friends and family just show up and, and grind through it with us. So it was, that was probably one of the best parts. It has been one of the best parts about this whole experience.
1: And yeah, that's awesome. And I mean, that's one thing I've always loved about OCR for most of it is the community. I mean, you get, you can get good community. I mean, you get a good community behind you, you can do quite a bit. And, you know, I would love to see more, more courses and races like you're describing up here. I've seen a couple where people will try it one year and then all of a sudden they disappear. You know, they try it yeah. once it's, and that's
0: it. It's a lot of work. So. That people expect, you know, for us, it's a passion project. And I think people think they're going to get rich off of doing it. Um, no. and they're not looking at, that the, uh, the bigger picture. So they want that immediate return. And one of the reasons I started getting into obstacle course racing and just this whole, you know, I do all uh, trail running, go roughs and all that, but it really teaches you, teaches you about delayed gratification. It teaches you yep. about, um, you know, just pushing through pain and dealing with failure. And that's basically what running in a small business is like, you know, it's delayed gratification, pain, suffering, um emotional roller coasters and if you're a if you're a good OCR athlete and you're able to deal with all that you could definitely um transfer all of that you know mentality into business or you know starting yeah. starting something and that's why I decided that this was you know I decided I didn't want to go to college and that wasn't for me so I learned most of my life lessons by you know blood
1: sweat and tears on an OCR course yeah and Sometimes that's great. I mean, I talk about it um, a lot my, in my real life. I'm a, a safety professional for the construction industry. So, you know, I do a lot of going out to job sites, making sure people are safe. And you see a difference in there's two types of safety professionals out there. There's those that have gone to school, went to college, and know all the rules. They know the right. rules. They know what safety is. They know what they're supposed to be doing. And there's ones like me who I don't have a college degree, but I've spent a lot of time out in the field. So I know what the rules are, but I know what reality is too. So it's, yeah. it, it takes both because you need the guys that, you know, have the college to understand it. But guys like us that just kind of went out and did it, you know, we have a completely different perspective on how to do things. Cause it's like, we didn't go to college. We didn't read all the textbooks. We didn't do all that. We just kind of went out and did it, you know, and yeah. it just, it gives a different perspective and it's perspective to life. So yeah. yeah, it does. You
0: know what's funny is I see that a lot of people start there or start small races on the East Coast, like in uh, New York, Boston. There's a whole bunch of homegrown OCR. And yeah. I, grew up, I grew up on the East Coast. So I, I grew up in Brooklyn, and I moved out here when I was about 15. And I think it's because, you know, some of that is because those blue-collar jobs are just so much more prominent on the East Coast. There's just such this like big yeah. construction industry, and there's no you know you don't go to trade school for that you just get thrown in. And this is you know what you do, and I feel like yep, it's that that whole idea of just jumping into a job and learning as you go and being an apprentice is just getting lost. Like, our, my generation just doesn't do that, and I, no, I agree I grew really. up on, Yeah, I grew up on construction sites, and it's just like you know sink or swim, and I just try to apply that mentality to doing this, building a top course race. And I honestly had so many points where I thought it was just going to implode and we were only going to have, like, 50 people there on race day, and which would have still been fine, but you just can't, you know, obviously you just can't run a business that uh, would be able to sustainable with only 50 people showing up on race day. But, yeah, uh, that's very true. Yeah, and I think that's why a lot of these smaller OCRs, they just kind of, you know, call it quits after the first year because they they maybe were expecting 2,000 people and they only got 400 and they were able to break even their first time and they're like, oh, this isn't worth it. But, uh, yeah, again, it's all about that delayed gratification and then really giving people a great experience from the start line to the finish line. And then those people that maybe don't have a great experience, you know, because you just can't help everybody, just, you know, you know, make sure that they're they're willing to come back for that second time. And we had very few, like, yeah, it was amazing. You know, the days after our first event, we just sat down, we were reading all the Facebook replies, and we had about 100 emails come in from people that provided feedback, and it was all positive. And honestly, I was just like, I I can't believe how awesome that is, you know, just getting all this positive feedback. I've never done that. I've never gotten done with a race. And been like, you know, what? I'm going to write an email about how cool it was. I've never had a bad OCR experience ever. Um, yeah, yeah. So it was really cool to, you know, get all that feedback. And then also, like, there was a few people that, you know, we did a disservice to our first year. We got one guy lost. And I'm like, dude, you're going to race our race for free for the rest of your life. The rest of your life, you're going to be able to, to, you know, come to a, a great OCR without having to worry about signing up or paying. And that's like, it's, that's when awesome. you're a homegrown OCR, those are the kind of things you need to do. And you create that family vibe.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of, you know, Ken, yeah. we have to. It's that, like you said earlier, you used the perfect phrase, the mom and pop. Um, yeah, it's that mom and pop mentality of we're, you know, you know, to use restaurants for example, we're not McDonald's. Not you don't know what's on our menu, so we have to have a little bit of personality and other stuff to go with it to get you to come back and to to show you that we have a great product. It's a great product. Yeah. It's a better product probably, but. It's not something you've heard of. So let's get you out here. And, you know, if you have a bad instance like that, where you said the guy, you know, got lost, he gave him free races for the rest of his life. I mean, you yeah. can't really complain about that. It's like, hey, we made a mistake. We're going to make it right. And that that's yeah. what makes the company great.
0: Yeah. And it was a clear mistake, yeah. you know, and, and for us, we, we want to get to that next level where that's not even, you know, a possibility. I've never gotten lost during a Spartan race. They have flagging on every inch of those courses our first uh, year of cone got moved and you know that happened but now this year or and last year that's our biggest focus is making sure that we learn from our, our our mistakes and we go forward and honestly it's just it's great hosting an event in this community and I really I hope that you guys do it and I hope that
1: more people just start bringing up these small races because that's what we need we do we really do. I mean, because that's the thing, like I said, I feel like we don't have enough up here. And there's been a couple race race companies that have tried to come up here, and they'll, you know, advertise it. And then usually about three or four months before the race is about to happen, they back out because they didn't get enough people signed up. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> like you said earlier, it's usually about a month to two weeks before when all of a sudden everyone's like, hey, I forgot to sign up for this race. It's coming next month. I better do it now. Yeah. Because I don't know how many people on the like, last one that pulled out. They're like, oh. I was going to sign up for that. <laughs> Darn it. It's like, well, maybe if you would have, it would still be happening.
0: Yeah. Our our first year, we got 50% of our sign-ups within the, within the last month. So, yeah. I, it, was, it was a learning experience for me because I was freaking out going, okay, you know, this isn't – I got, like, all of this positive feedback from social media and people saying that they were going to come, and then – a month before, I'm like, all right, you know, I'm happy with where we're at, but I wish it was a bigger, you know, uh, a bigger crowd so that everybody could feed into the energy. And yeah, it doubled with it, you know, in the last month, and it was great. And I think that's a really hard thing for some people, especially when it's, you know, for me, I'm in a situation where it's not my, it's not how I'm feeding my family. So I don't yeah. have a lot of uh, economical pressure. Um, so, you know, for me, it'd be like, it, it was a passion project, but I can tell like you we know, if, if this is the way that you make your living and, and this is what you're, you're diving into, I could see how it could be tough seeing those low signups three or four months in advance. And then knowing that you're going to have to fork out the same amount of money if 200 people come or if a thousand people come, that's tough. Oh yeah, it does. Yeah,
1: yeah. no, I, I completely agree. And that's one of the, that's one of the hard parts about getting companies to come up here to Seattle is, you know, that. You know, late sign up, and you know it's a big stretch because a lot of the companies that they're coming up here they're traveling I mean most of the other yeah. companies the closest they are are you know east Coast or cal- some of them in California, but they're still usually an East Coast company, but they happen to have maybe a race or two in California, so they're somewhat close, but not really you know, yeah, yeah, so yeah. In uh, the Beast OCR, we do have a couple of endurance events that we do, but we haven't done really stretched out to the racing yet. There's been talk of working with a venue up here that already does races and, and doing stuff, but that's something that's a hush-hush. I'm not supposed to talk about I'll probably get in trouble for saying it on the podcast, but whatever. Um, <laughs> it happens. It won't be the only thing I get in trouble for, so, you know. <laughs> oh so what I, I know you said that you're you've been an OCR athlete for a while what got you into it what was the thing that suddenly one day was like I want to do this
0: I was in a even
1: started racing it saw, yeah I saw Tough Mudder in a magazine and
0: I got back to my gym I was going to like this local kind of like a small boot camp gym out here. And mm-hmm. I was talking to the people that I do my classes with. I'm like, have you ever heard of this? And I was like, "No, nah, I don't even know what that is. I'm like, let's get a team together. Let's just do it. And the team started out at like 15 people. And then by the time it actually became, you know, down the race day or signing up, there was like seven of us. So it was me, my wife, my sister-in-law, and then one of the trainers from our gym and two or three other people and actually, my sister-in-law ended up marrying that trainer, and they have four kids now in a house in Texas, just because of that one day. Oh, nice. So that was, wow. that was really cool, you know, seeing that, like, just that one day and having that kind of experience together led to, you know, the birth of four children and a marriage and, and this, like, entire life path. Just that one day. And that's, you know, obviously I didn't know that at the time, but I saw... You know, you don't, you don't get those kind of experiences day to day with people. No. You know, you go out to dinner or you go have some drinks with, with friends and you, you leave and you'll never remember that night again. But I will always remember our first Tough Mudder that whole day. It was just so much fun. So I became, became addicted to that. And we started doing Spartans and Battle Frogs and um, really got into Spartan for a while and was doing, you know, like me, I only did like... Uh, I think the most I've done in one year was a triple trifecta. Um, my wife, is, you know, was, was an avid Spartan racer and we never really did it competitive cause I'm a, I'm a, a larger dude. I'm not that fast on a trail. So mostly yeah. just go out there, have some fun. And, uh, I, I like more of like the grind events, like, uh, hurricane heat, or go that's where I, that's where I'm happiest. Um, rather than, you know, mm-hmm. sprint on a, on a course. But it just it keeps evolving, man. Like now I'm getting into ultra running and longer trail trail
1: race events. It's just it just kept snowballing. And see, that's what's awesome. That's what I hear from so many people when I talk to them is how it's usually a random encounter that got them in OCR. A lot of times it's either like you said, you happen to randomly see Tough Mudder. Or it's the one I hear a lot of times too is, oh, I had a friend that saw this, you know, Spartan race or Tough Mudder and said, hey, we should do that. So I signed up and then they never showed up. And I did yeah. it by myself and I met these people and the community was great and I loved it and I stayed. And that's usually what you hear is you get that, that first experience. It's a life, for most people, it's a life-changing event. Like, yeah you know, you, you, there's the OCR people are a completely different breed of people. You know, I know I talk about like the Beast OCR a lot, but it's not just Beast OCR. It's the whole community. I've never been alone on a race, you know, yeah. no matter where I was. And I mean, it's it's an amazing community. And that's why, you know, I love companies like you guys that are bringing, you know, smaller races, you know, bringing more people in and getting more people into this wonderful community. So, yeah. Yeah. So you, you, you started off with the, the Tough Moderns and Spartans. Oh, go ahead. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so Tough Mudder, Spartan. I think Tough Mudder, you know, they market themselves as the toughest event on the planet. I think they're the most fun event on the planet. You know, it's not really... I've never, like, gotten past the Tough Mudder finish line and been like, holy crap, that was really tough. Um, aside from doing uh, Toughest Mudder, which was, like, the uh, the eight-hour multi-lap, you know, that was obviously harder. Yeah. But Tough mutters are just fun. And then Spartan Race... You know, those are kind of, you know, more intense, The the, the vibe is like, you really need to push yourself. You really need to like push past your limits and, and be a different person. And then I've tried to come in between that where our race is tough, you know, our terrain's tough, our obstacles are tough, but you know, we're really not pushing any obstacle penalties on people that are in open waves. We just want people to come yeah. out and have a good time. We don't want to shame people for not completing an obstacle, um, yeah, you know, we're not uh, we're not promoting a certain um, fitness level. We're just saying, hey, come out and have some fun. Right
1: on. And do you guys have a competitive heat or Is it just you come and you race? Yeah. yeah so okay. last year was our first competitive our competitive
0: uh, wave. We had our first male and female competitive waves, and we capped those out at fifty people each, just because we don't want bottlenecks, and we haven't really gotten to the point yeah. where it's you know, nailed down. So we're, we're trying to make it like really fair, and and make sure that we have enough infrastructure so that you know if you're in a competitive wave and you get to an obstacle and you have to wait, it's really not a competitive wave. You know, you should have yeah that course should be open exactly, for you. Yeah. And right now we're at about four lanes for each obstacle. Um, aside from our carries, our carries, you know, we we overdo our carries. Um, we have enough implements to go around, but uh, we haven't gotten to the point where we're we're more than four lanes. So I want to make sure that we never get to a situation where somebody was cheated out of a obstacle place or a placement because of the lack of lanes. And I've seen that in a lot of other races that, you know, they have these competitive waves and there's only one lane for, for certain obstacles. And it's like, well, how does that work? Because if you had yeah. to wait four or five minutes and your, your body's cooling down, I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider that competitive. And then then the only thing that was competitive about it was the, the running in between
1: exactly and oh, yeah, i agree with that one. and do you have for your competitive is it uh, obstacle completion or do you have a you know a penalty so we have a we have a lap for
0: uh, certain obstacles our our crawls our walls our our carries are all mandatory um mm-hmm. and if they don't complete those then we we'll take their bib but um if sail an obstacle they only have one one chance and then they have to complete a uh, penalty lap. And then also the okay. penalty lap at the at the midway point they have to grab a band to show that they completed
1: the penalty lap. Okay. That makes sense. See that's cool. yeah, That's one thing like- that I've let see I've argued with people on the idea of obstacle completion or a penalty. So it's kind of one of those I feel in some races, I've seen quite a few times where you have the people that know they don't have the skill to do the obstacle, so they'll basically won't even attempt it and just go straight to doing, yeah. you know, their penalty because they know that they're fast enough that, you know, they can catch the guy who can actually do the obstacle, you so know, so they, they rely on their speed. Yeah,
0: so we, we we tell everybody that you have to at least attempt the obstacle, and then at least to slow them down a little, at least, you now try. And then they have to do their penalty. But I remember when I was doing Battle Frog, it was mandatory completion. And I remember being on the course mm-hmm. and seeing a whole bunch of people have absolute meltdowns because they were like, I completed that obstacle. And the volunteer was like, no, you didn't. And then you have this standoff in the middle of the course. And I've been trying to avoid that. And I think our, our, yeah. our competitive ways will evolve over time. Um, and we'll, you know, probably have to change our policies here and there. I'm not, I'm not really married to any one way, but last year seemed to work really well and everybody had a great time. And, you know, aside from, you know, uh, actually we, we really didn't have anybody come back and go like, that was unfair or I should have, you know, I, 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 was cheated out of my, my placement. It was very clear yeah. like the, the p- between first, second and third and the people that came in fourth and fifth, it was like a 10 minute difference. You know, we had these really high-level guys come out there and just blaze through this course, and then everybody else, you know, that didn't
1: have a placement, you know, they all just got got out there and had fun. They pushed themselves. Yeah, and that's the way it should be. I mean, that's the way you know. I've been because I've seen the other ones. You know, Battle Frogs one that I missed um, because the one time they were up here in Seattle, I broke my foot three weeks before. Oh man. So, so my kid likes to rub in my face that he got to do Battle Frog and I never will. So he's like, look at the <laughs> medal I have, Dad, that you're never gonna get. And I'm like, thanks, you little jerk, <laughs> because he took my race when I when I couldn't race. It's I, like, well, pff. so I transferred it over to him, and he he did it for me. So
0: I hate to rub it in, yeah. but it it was an incredible
1: series. They did a they did a great job. I I heard they did, and I was so mad because I was sitting there talking to him. I was there on crutches with my kid, and even the announcers like, why aren't you out there? I'm like, honestly, if it was. Like three weeks from now, when the doctor said I could walk on this boot, I would be out there. I mean, I did yeah. I did Hawaii in a full boot because the doctor said yeah, I could walk. I heard walk.
0: that. Yeah, I listened here So podcast. I mean it.
1: it, it yeah. So and it's one of those things I would not advise anybody to do that. That was probably one of the dumbest decisions I ever made, but I did it anyway. But it's but if I could go back, I'd do it again. I, I wouldn't, you know. For sure. But yeah. it's one of those I've just. You know, I've seen the, you know, battle frog, you know, I kind of saw that, but terrain race had the mandatory completion. And I remember talking to some of the people that like literally were losing it. Cause there was one girl that I know was in second place and she got to, I think it was the Tarzan swing. And she just, for whatever reason, her brain didn't want to like figure out how to do it. And she sat there for 45 minutes. Going again and again and again because she was not going to give up her band. Yeah. And it's like, wow, that's like, like that's dedication. You know, she's like, I was going to do multiple laps, but I figured I did the, you know, the Tarzan swing for 45 minutes. So, but it's like, just because she didn't want to give up that band, she's like, I'm not giving up this band. I am finishing this obstacle. It's like, okay, go for
0: it. Yeah. I I love the sport. I love the idea of having, you know, competitive and elite and people going out there and giving their all. But at the end of the day, yeah. there it's not black. There's so much gray area in OCR, and I think Spartan Race yeah. is probably one of the only ones that do a really great job of making it super fair because they have so much infrastructure. You know, they have cameras watching your burpees and just you know, course referees yeah. and, and more than enough lanes for for people to go through. Like that's really their focus, and they they do a really good job. But like you know, for us being a small local OCR, I'm really. I, I, I want to get to the point where we have more infrastructure, but I know that it's going to be a learning process for both us and the people that do our race. And yeah. I don't know whether or not well, we're going to keep doing this, you know, um, penalty lap or we have to you know, switch to mandatory completion. But I want to, I want to at least give people, you know, the ability to finish the race and not feel like they, they lost like DNS. I, I want people yeah. to, to, to get through the finish line. I think that, you know, when you – when you the top three people, as long as it's fair and I have enough volunteers out there making sure that they actually did complete the obstacles and then just run past them, like those top three people, I see – you see it at every race. You can kind of almost predict who's going to win a race. Yeah. Those, those guys oh, yeah. are always on
1: the top three. Yep. Yeah. So well, it's mean, kind of one well, of those things you just want to make sure that, you know, Spartan has – not to sound bad, but Spartan has a lot of money, so and they've been doing this for a while, yeah. so they figured out that that way. But I mean, for you to have you know somebody with a camera videotaping every single person as they come through at every obstacle, that's just yeah, man. I mean, with, with phones footage, nowadays, it's a yeah, it's kind of realistic to a point, but then reviewing it, and everything, it's like yeah, no, no, yeah,
0: no, I don't, I don't want to focus too much on that. I remember there there was a race. Out here called Atlas Race, um, and I did one of them, and they they were like I remember Man. hearing about them. Yeah, and it was a cool race, but it was like another one of those races where they would do elite with a purse, and people would go out there, and there'd only be two lanes at certain obstacles, and people would lose their mind when they were like waiting in line, and their money was on the line for this purse. It was a it was a weird thing. So I really want to I really want yeah. to focus on people going out there and just having a good time. And the general waves just, you know, pushing themselves on the terrain and where uh, yeah, I come from a CrossFit background, so our obstacles are a little heavier um, than some of our competitors. So when you go out there, you know, you're, you're going to be there's a lot of time under tension obstacles. Like we have a jerry can carry that's heavy and long, and actually that was a, a product of BattleFrog. I remember doing that jerry can carry at BattleFrog, and it's being like this is rough. <laughs> Because they used to yeah. have some long, like half-mile jerry can carries with obstacles in between, and I love that because you don't see that anywhere else. So we have a really no. long, like uh, it's a little longer than a quarter mile jerry can carry with some heavy jerry cans, and then we cool. have a uh, we have this yoke, which is basically a a um, pole with center blocks coming off of it, and that's super heavy. A lot of people complain about that, just saying that's too hard and that's the hardest thing. It's also about placement too. We put it in a like three quarters into the, the race where you're already smoked. So you have to do this thing yeah. with your core being being done and your quad being done. And I, uh, I want to push people, but I want people to have a good time.
1: Yeah. And I'm one of those ones I, I've had because there's been a lot of, you know, I don't know if you've seen all the huge debate and everything about the Seattle Spartan races. Because they're in April, it can be very cold. And wet and nasty. It's like, it's Seattle. What do you expect? But there's been a lot of Mm -hmm. arguments with people that they say it's too cold. It's what, you know, there's problems. They need to move it. It's too much. It's everything like that. And I'm like thinking, didn't we get into OCR to push ourselves? Yeah. I'm like, in my mind, it's like, if I know it's going to be cold and nasty, then I either need to fix it in training or fix it with gear. Yep. So... It's not about it. – I'm not the type of person to go to the race and say, hey, you've made this too hard. Make it easier for me. Yeah. I'm more of the yeah. type to say, okay, they've made this too hard for where I'm at right now, and I need to figure out how to fix that so that when I come back next time, it's not so hard. Yeah, you know, exactly. and I think As we have too many people now. Timeline.
0: There is. Yeah. Because for us, like last but, year – we had horrible weather all week and I was freaking out that it was going to rain on race day because I feel like mm-hmm. it kills the vibe at the village. And I want people to remember having a good time before and after the race. So yeah, we had this ridiculously muddy course, which we weren't expecting, you know, because the year before that, it was, it was basically like 90 degrees uh, on race day. It was beautiful weather, um, cool breeze coming along, sunny all day. And then last year, it rained all week, so the entire course was just this big mud pit. And I was worried that people were going to complain about that because some of our marketing in the beginning was like, hey, we don't have any water obstacles and we don't have any mud obstacles. But that wasn't really my choice because it just was horrible weather. The night before, our entire festival area was flooded. So I spent probably from 2 in the morning until 6 in the morning basically pumping out Um, big puddles of water so that our festival wasn't just completely flooded it was a disaster yeah but everybody had an amazing time and nobody complained about the mud and I that was another learning experience for me that I think I was worried too much about the comfort of people and didn't realize that you know the people that come out to these local OCRs they don't care about comfort they just want to have a good time and, and Yeah. You know, we didn't even have a changing tent, which is something that we're going to, you know, nobody even complained about that. But it's something that was in the back of my mind, like, hey, these guys are going to be in mud and they're not going to even be able to change until they get back to their cars.
1: But nobody, nobody even said anything. Everybody was just there to have a good time. See, that's what's awesome is, I mean, with this community, you get that, you know, a lot of times where people are just they're happy they're happy that there's a race and they're having a blast and they don't think about those things you get at the bigger events. Yeah. You're going to get people like there's no changing tent and they're going to have issues because they, these things aren't there that they're expecting. And, but usually if it's someone going to a local event, there there's somebody that's in OCR. Yeah. And they're going to be yeah, exactly. okay with like, Oh, Hey, you know, Oh, there wasn't a changing tent, you know, Maybe next time, you know, but it's kind of one of right. those that you, you just want to have a good time. And if you're giving them a good time, most people can completely, you know, forget those things. You know, I've you been the one before it. where, you
0: know,
1: and that's it. That's the big push. Do you get people yeah. back? And that's how you know yeah. if you're doing good. I mean, I've seen yeah events that say they did good, but then nobody goes back and next year. It's like, well, obviously it wasn't that good because nobody wanted to do it again. So yeah. Yeah. Nice. So you said normally your event's in February, right? Yeah. So this year we're going to have a two-day event. So our first day is going to be our normal,
0: um, our normal distance, which is about eight miles. And then mm-hmm. the second day we're going to have a reduced course. And we're actually going to reverse it. So the people that do it the first day and the second day, they're not doing the same race twice. Okay, on the second day, we'll have a, a backwards course, which something that Spartan used to do. I don't
1: know if you've ever been to a, a Spartan race where they would verse, reverse the course for the second day. No, but that would be an awesome thing to do. Yeah. Because so then, it doesn't we, like you said, we, it doesn't feel like you're doing the same race twice.
0: Right, because I've done that a lot where you do, like, the Super on Saturday and then the Sprint on Sunday or the Beast and then the Sprint, and you're just basically mm-hmm. doing the same first five miles over again. And you're like, okay, that was yeah. cool. You know, it was fun to do it, but... You know, there's there's a low-hanging fruit, especially when you have a loop obstacle course race right? to so just reverse it, and then you get to at least do the obstacles in a different order and different terrain. And yeah. that's you know, something that's super important to me, that people don't feel like they're just getting fed the same thing over and over again. And not that, you know, I, I, I love Spartan, and they have a crazy logistical undertaking that I can never imagine, having to host an, a, a new race in each city weekend after weekend. And that is why yeah. things have to be somewhat cookie cutter. But that's what's cool about guys like me when you're able to, you know, basically determine everything. Like, I don't have to worry about my, you know, insurance agents coming out and checking out the course, which I'm sure that a lot of decisions that Spartan has to make are insurance-based. Like, they can't put you yeah. oh, yeah. anymore because, you know, they have to make sure that if they're going to have 12,000 people over a weekend that everybody's safe. So I get why they have to do certain things, but luckily we get to break that mold and do things a little differently, which is I hope people see and
1: and appreciate that. Oh, I'm sure they do. I'm definitely yeah. gonna definitely gonna have to plan on you know being in California next next summer. So my yeah, next February. Oh, sure. Yeah, I'm we'd definitely gonna have have come you. down there. And then,
0: you
1: know, we have plans for some other events, too. What kind of other events are are those ones that you can talk about, or is they they, uh, a secret squirrel kind of thing? So,
0: so we have another event coming up that's going to, it'll be a smaller event, and it's going to emulate hunting. So, you're basically going to have, like, a two-mile OCR, and then Mm -hmm. you're going to do archery halfway through. So, it's going to be, like, you know, Spartan spear throw, but with a bow and arrow. And then you're going to take a 60 to hundred pound sandbag and then carry that back to the course, back to the finish line, rather. Oh, wow. Yeah. So okay. basically test testing people's accuracy after they've gone through, you know, about a two mile, um, OCR course, and then they get rated on their accuracy and then, you know, a sandbag carried back into
1: the finish line, which is something I haven't seen before. Yeah, it's not a bad. It's not a bad idea. I was yeah, saying, I know so someone I was talking about a course that they did, where one of the things you could get a special medal or something if you carried a forty-pound sandbag through the entire course.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we actually have a ruck division like for our crazy, our yeah. main event. So we give out a patch for you know somebody wearing a rock, a weighted rock or a weight vest, and because that's something that. I enjoy, I'm, I'm more into the GORUCKs and the Hurricane Heat, so I enjoy like carrying. I do a lot of my OCRs weighted. I do a lot of my, my trail races and, and, and road runs weighted. And I just, you know, it just appeals to me. So I have been recognizing people that do it on our race. I've done it at Spartan races. I, I got my trifecta in 2016 with a weight vest on for every race. I did um uh, which sprint did I do? I did the stadium race uh, mm-hmm. I did Castaic I did Castaic Spartan in a weight vest and I did Monterey super in a weight vest and I did Montana in a no not Montana um Big Bear in a weight vest I should have done Montana nice. in a weight vest because Big Bear was terrible but uh, was, I've heard that of, um,
1: I know there's <laughs> there's some bees that have been doing what they call a uh, ruckfecta
0: and that's yeah. basically
1: the same thing is it's basically rucking uh that's ruckfecta so
0: yeah you know and and i don't know why spartan doesn't um recognize that like there's no there's no weight division i think it's because of um it has to be an insurance thing for them and they don't want to promote people wearing weighted vests during their during their race and they don't want to you know bottleneck people at certain obstacles because there was a whole bunch of dudes in weighted vests that can't get through it so i get where you know they come from but that was something i wanted to set myself apart because i I know so many people that ruck their their OCRs or they do them weighted. Um, And so we we have a ruck division you could sign up for and at least get a patch for also doing it
1: weighted. Nice. So do you get – what do you get for your – do you get a a medal for your races or do you guys
0: have patches? Yeah, so we
1: we give out a a medal, a finisher shirt,
0: if uh, you do – Our races, um, if you've done our race before, you also get a legacy patch. So people that did our race in 2018 and 2019, in 2019 they got a legacy patch for doing it back-to-back. We'll do the same thing this year. They'll get a legacy patch for doing it year after year. So medal, patch, shirt, finish your beer. um, And then if you did the ruck division, you'll get another patch as well. So if, you know, you do ruck division and you've done our race back-to-back, And then you do a race. You're walking away with a finisher shirt, a medal, and two
1: patches, which is you know kind of a lot. That's cool. Yeah. See, that's awesome. So, and I I know it sounds horrible, but that's a lot of us do it for the medals. But, um, and, and that's not really true. I say that because I like having my medals, but I do it for the memories. Yeah. If but that, you know, know if, if that, that makes sense.
0: Our uh, our partners, they always, they only host trail races, right? And they're great at designing mm-hmm. medals. They design these badass medals. But they they do it because they're creative. But most people that do trail running, like ultra running, they don't care about medals. They throw them in like a bin or something like that. They're not on display. They don't get posted on Instagram. They're more of just like, hey, no. Uh, you know, it's, it's just a memory or it's a Strava input, but it's... Otr people are all about their medals, and I think it's cool because oh, yeah. it's just it's part of you know it's part of who we are. So we put a lot of um, we put a lot of weight into making sure that we have some really cool medals, and that we have some really cool gear that when you walk away, you have a tangible, you have something
1: tangible to remember that day by. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I kind of have I have a huge wall of medals, but it's it's 10 years of collecting. I mean, a lot of them are road races and like back in 2009 and stuff like that. When they first started giving out medals for like rock and rolls and stuff like that. And so, I mean, I got a bunch of those. So, I mean, it's 10 years of collecting, but I mean, I can pretty much look at every single one of them and tell you something about that race. Exactly. And there's, there's gotta be like a hundred of them up there. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's cool. I mean, Sorry. I feel like in, in, uh, in, like, 20 years, I could be sitting down with my son and going over and being like, hey, this is, you know, this medal that I got from, from doing this weighted trifecta, you know, and I, I you know, remember climbing up those hills in, in Big Bear, or, you know, doing Ultra Beast buckles are very memorable. You know, there's always a whole bunch of uh, yeah. memories from an Ultra Beast. And then patches from GORUCKs. I mean, every single patch I have from a GORUCK, I could look at that patch and remember a dozen – you know things that most people wouldn't even do in their lives, their entire lifetime. But I, I did that night, and it's just it's cool. Yeah, and I feel like I can't imagine having an event where you don't have, you know, you don't reward your people that came out and gave it their all with at least something. And I've done races where you don't get a medal, you don't get a finisher shirt, and it's like whatever. You know, you don't, I don't have any ill, you know, thoughts towards them. But I feel like if you're going to be successful in OCR, you got to make sure that your merch is on point.
1: Oh, yeah, because people are, you know, people like to show that off. So, you know, yeah, it's Metal Monday. Every Monday, my, my feed is inundated with pictures of all the medals everyone over the, got over the weekends and, you know, all that fun stuff. So, and it's one of those things, you know, you get in the fun argument with people that, oh, it's just a participation trophy. It's like, nope, I've never agreed with that. But this participation trophy means I got something for showing up. Yeah. A finisher medal means that I finished it. That I yeah. persevered and went through this and finished it. You know, was you I early, first? No. You drove all this. Yeah. 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 Was I first? Probably not. Was I last? Probably close too. But I finished it. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So we're we're coming up on our on the hour mark that I usually. Try and stay right at. Um, yeah. What in closing? I think we've got about five minutes. In closing, what do you? What would you like our listeners to know about your event? How sell my listeners on coming down to Santa Clarita? Is it Santa Clarita? No, it's not Santa Clarita. Yeah. It's Santa. Where? Oh, is it Santa Clarita? That's no, oh, right. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. So sell the listeners on coming down to Santa Clarita in February. To do your event.
0: All right. So I feel like a lot of when you when you hear about local OCR, you just automatically assume that you're going to show up to a field with just a you know a a really rinky-dink start line and one or two tents, and it's going to be like this really small event, and the obstacles are going to be built poorly. And I, I feel like local OCR has a bad name, but my wife and I and our partners, we put so much effort and so much work into making sure that it almost feels like a Spartan race. And our goal is to, you know, be right there with them. And we work so hard to make sure that everybody has a good experience. And the cool thing about us is you could you could call me, you could email me, you could DM me on Instagram, and I will listen to your feedback. And I will give you as much info as possible about this event. You know, we're, we're very tangible. Uh, my wife and I and our partners and we, you know, we live this. This has been a, um, a really cool last two months. We've seen a lot of, a lot of signups, a lot of great energy around the event. And I am going to keep that energy rolling into February. And I plan on really bringing a kick-ass event in February, with some new obstacles that people have already done our race, you know, haven't seen yet. And elaborating on existing obstacles, and uh, yeah, I think it's a, um, it's it's worth the trip. Um, Santa Cruz itself is actually a really cool town. It's it's growing. We're kind of a suburban town, but we have a great fitness um, following here, which is one reason why we've been successful. Is everybody around here? You know, they either go to a, a, a CrossFit gym or some sort of studio. And everybody loves to push themselves. You drive around Santa Cruz on a weekend, and you'll always see people running on the side of the road, or you'll see biking. And it's just a really fitness-centric community. And we also have this incredible venue. Um, a lot of movies got filmed where we, we do our race, a lot of uh, TV shows. And it's just these incredible backdrops of rolling hills. And these like, burnt down forests. So you'll be running, and everything is green. And then all of a sudden, you're in this, you know, little... Forest Knuckler, you know, it burnt down maybe three or four years ago, and and then uh, now you're rolling, you know, going up this huge um, uh, ridge that's just like you know brown on each side, and um, it's like really cool terrain. And then also, what really cool part about uh, East Walker is that certain points, when you're on top, when you you climb the hill, you could basically see the entire course in a 360 degree panoramic view. So you're basically like you you feel like you're part of like this huge thing. And it's so cool. Like when mm.
1: I'm
0: I remember the, the first year when our first wave went off, I was standing on top of this hill and I could I could basically track where everybody was going up. Like our 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 first yeah. wave, which is basically all the dudes that wanted to go out and go as fast as possible. And I was able to watch them go for the first two or three miles of the course by just standing on this one vantage point. And as a racer, that's really cool because you get to like just feel like you're part of this huge movement. Um, where I feel like sometimes I'm at these races and I'm like by myself. <laughs> I'm like, I've been doing yeah. this for like, I've been running. I've been running on this this mountain for an hour and I haven't seen anybody else. <laughs> so it's also cool because it becomes no, like, this really. Yeah, it's it's more of a community, vibe. and we also we bring it with aid stations. I've. One of the coolest things about my partners is they bring some of the ultra running stuff to OCR. Mm-hmm. So when you get to all the aid stations, there's candy and granola bars and noon at every aid station. And well, we, we actually are, one um, nice. of our sponsors is gnarly, gnarly nutrition. And we, uh, mm-hmm. we fill up all at least one aid station with, with uh, some um, hydration from them. And uh, yeah, dude, we, we give out as much as possible, so that you know our racers have that everything that they need to keep going. Every every station has salt pills. Every station has a first aid, and we don't have just one dude at each race station. You know, we our aid station. We have about four or five people, and we let them decorate their aid station and just go nuts. And and that has actually been one of our one thing that sets us apart so much. Because you know, I've been at Spartan Race and you get to an aid station, and it's just like a water cup and a dude holding it. And it's just like, okay, that's yeah. cool, but I could really use like a granola bar right now or something. And yeah, uh, yeah we uh, you know we don't we don't skimp. We're not we're not looking to be millionaires from this. We just we want to host a good event that we can keep coming back. Um, and we don't you know, we, we don't just uh, try to do the bare minimum to
1: get by. Yeah, and that's awesome. And see, that's one thing, like, I did a half mar- or sorry, a full marathon, actually, because Don hates me and is trying to kill me, but I did a full marathon a month ago, and every single, it was almost about every three miles or so, there was an aid station with... Three or four volunteers. They had, you know, like the nicest people in the world, and most time volunteers are. They're the greatest people. I always thank them because you know they they're the ones that make this happen. But they had dew and water and you know anything you can need because normally I'm used to Spartan, so I had my pack with water and you know you know some snacks and stuff like that because it was going to be 26 miles and I'm a big guy. I was going to be out there a while and after about the third station, I'm like, I didn't need to bring this. I don't need any of this. Cause they provided everything I can need because, you know, I've, I've done a Spartan where they ran out of, out of water for eight miles. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. You know, cause they, you <laughs> know, cause, cause of how far out it was, they just weren't able to get water back out to these stations. And for eight miles, every one we came up to was like, we're out. And we're like, oh, gosh, oh, no, because we were, you know, our packs were empty and we're like, "Uh," you know, so I've always had that pack with me just in case.
0: Yeah, our first year, we thought on one of our aid stations, we were going to run out of water, like, and it was a sheer panic. And we rushed over there with like four more gallons of water. And then the girl that was at the aid station, she didn't realize that underneath the table, there was another like four or five gallons. So no. we were fine, like we had enough water there, but it's so important to us to make sure that people don't have that experience where they get somewhere to an aid yep. station and they don't have water. I mean that's like that's my job in an OC and that's a yep. race director's job is to make sure that racers are you know, they're taking care of every step of the way. And it's so important yeah. to me. Yeah, and awesome. I think I think that is a huge failure if if you're hosting a race. And a, and a racer comes to an aid station and they don't have what they need. And I think that it's crazy yeah. that, like, you know, that some of these races, they don't have salt pills or anything like that at certain at certain points. Like, it's just, it, they're the, those should be the basics. And then in the ultra-running community, it's, like, completely different. You get to an aid station and they have Coke and quesadillas and, like, all this crap. And you're like, why does this not exist in OCR when you're doing just as much work? <laughs>
1: Yeah. See, I heard the same thing about like ultras that they do that. And I was like, wow, that's, that sounds awesome. Yeah, but, that's it should be. Yeah, it should be. So, all right. Well, thank you for, for talking with me. I've definitely had a blast talking to you. Um, I will make sure that all the information anybody would need to find you is on the you know when we we air the episode that so they can get to you, but do you want to tell everyone kind of how they can find you real quick? and yeah. then I'll make sure that I put it on the episode too, but just let everyone know, you know Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, web address, whatever you want.
0: Yeah, so we're on Instagram at grit underscore oCR. We're on Facebook at grid oCR and then we uh, have a website grid ocr dot com where all the info. And our uh, registration, registration is super simple. Um, that's another thing that we wanted to make sure that, it, you know, it wasn't hard for uh, for people to sign up for our race. I mean, that's another deterrent sometimes. Is like you have to go to, like, six different pages to sign up for a race where yeah. ours is all in-house. And then um, if uh, we really promote teams. We really want to make sure that people, we you know, we love people that run individual. That's fine. But um, we really want people to come out and pack. And, yeah. If you do decide to come out in a pack, please email
1: us, and we will send you a discount code for your team. Yeah. Nice. Well, I can tell you right now I'm going to do everything I can to make sure there's a beast team there. So. Oh, thank you. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, uh, once again, thank you for talking. Um, Yeah. And I think what we will do is I think we will have you on again. But once it's a little bit closer to February, so we're, like, closer to the event and can really push it. So, because this sounds like a great event that I definitely want to go to. So, yeah, Yeah, we'd love to have you guys. And thank you so much for having us. Oh, yeah, anytime. All right. Well, thank you so much, Antonio. And I I will talk to you soon. All right, man. Have a good night. You too.
0: Thanks for listening to the BeastNet podcast brought to you by Beast OCR. Don't forget to subscribe and let us know what you think and what you'd like to hear. You can find us on Facebook or at beastocr.com.